The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Gracious God, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. For me, it's been quite a week about marriage. Last weekend, I officiated at my first wedding here uh, at Trinity after working with a wonderful couple for nearly a year. At the rehearsal, I dropped both rings. (laughs) Happily, during the main ceremony, I only dropped one of them. (laughs) This past Thursday, I attended a terrific clergy workshop called Strengthening Marriage, led by a gifted psychologist in clinical practice and also a a lay theologian, I would say, in the Episcopal Church by the name of Charles Foster. Really wonderful, wonderful workshop. And today, today I get to preach on marriage and divorce. I do so with some trepidation. Though it happens that I do know something about divorce. My parents divorced when I was a small boy. My wife's parents divorced when she was in high school. My father remarried a divorced woman. And my wife's mother remarried a divorced man. A silver lining to divorce in my family My children have nearly twice the number of grandparents that you're supposed to have. And that is always a good thing. Always. Especially at birthday and Christmas, but my children aren't old enough to know that yet. I also know that the faith of my mother and stepfather saw them through some very difficult times and saved them from divorce. And it's also true that most of us in this sanctuary know something about divorce. Somewhere between 25 and 33 percent of marriages in this country end in divorce. And I imagine it must be closer to 100 percent of people in this sanctuary have either been divorced, are contemplating divorce, or have a friend, family member, or colleague at work who has divorced. 
But as we know, statistics don't tell the story about divorce. While there may be relief and emancipation, there is also pain and sorrow and anger and fear. And if there are children, the stakes are higher. And there is the fear of and reality of judgment from others, especially sometimes from Christians. And there is the added layer of shame often at failing at the high ideal of Christian marriage which is permanence, period. And so Jesus' words on divorce this morning carry more than a little sting. But since they're found not only in the Gospel of Mark, but also in Matthew and Luke, with slight variation, we have to face the fact that the Gospel's teaching on divorce may be among the most unambiguous social teaching in our tradition. In light of this, we might need to be reminded that gospel means good news. Gospel means good news. In what way has what we heard this morning, in what way is it good news? Jesus' response to his questioners needs to be seen in a larger context. First, the Pharisees' question was phony. They were just trying to trap him. Everyone knew that the Hebrew Scriptures permitted divorce according to a very prescribed process. The Pharisees were just trying to trap Jesus into siding with one of the two main schools of thinking about divorce among the rabbis. One school of rabbis interpreted the law very, very narrowly. Divorce was only permitted, only permitted, when adultery had taken place. The other school interpreted the law very, very broadly. A man could decide to divorce, to divorce his wife simply by deciding that he found another woman more attractive. In any case, no matter which school of thought one belonged to, According to Jewish law, only a man could initiate a divorce. A woman had no rights to speak of. She was, in essence, a thing in Jewish law. She had no rights to speak of except as they derived from her father or from her husband. So for a woman, divorce meant the end of a respectable life and perhaps even the end of livelihood for herself and for her children. Children, of course, had no status either in Jewish law. So into that context, Jesus' response to the Pharisees would have been good news. It could have been heard this way. Yes, divorce is permitted, but only as a concession to the hardness of heart of men. God has a different plan, grounded in the divine ideal from the very beginning, and that is permanence and mutuality. God's plan means safety and status for women and children, not discarding them on a whim. Jesus' teaching would have been good news for women and children.
fast forward from the first century to the 21st century. Where is the good news in Jesus' words in the gospel tradition for couples who've been married in the church, who have made vows and hoped and prayed and struggled and gotten counseling and done everything humanly possible and who have found themselves, for whatever reasons, not able to keep the vows and the promises they've made? Where is the good news for those of us who have been witnesses to marriages that have failed and have stood by while they have crumbled, perhaps not even knowing they were in danger? For whatever statistics may tell us about the commonplaceness of divorce, for whatever we may sense in our culture about a lack of commitment, we hope and yearn and desire from the depths of our being lasting commitment. The one fleshness, the one fleshiness that marriage promises. And when it doesn't happen, it's a failure. It's a failure of hope in our lives. It's a failure of our dreams. A failure in meeting God's hope for us. God does set the bar very high. Where is the good news? Well, first, I think we have to confess that the body of Christ has not always lived out the good news with regard to divorce. We haven't been good about accepting that our lives are not always perfect. We have trouble remembering that the body of Christ is full of broken people in need of healing, not just around marriage, but around all kinds of things, who fail to live up to the high standards in all kinds of ways, the standards that Jesus has for us. I think we're often guilty of the hardness of heart that Jesus points out in the Pharisees. We're reluctant to seek out help and support and maybe even reluctant to offer it. The Church of Jesus Christ of all places must be a place where we can admit difficulty and failure without shame, without shame or fear of judgment. We've had enough of judgment, much of it self-inflicted. Second, I think of the church as a place where we ought to be able to learn what I like to think of as the graces of failure. Or to put it another way, where we learn to look for the resurrection of the dead. The good news is, there is resurrection from the dead. Every failure is an opportunity to start over, to learn that we are loved by God regardless of our failures. In the body of Christ, we can be re-energized to start afresh, to pick ourselves up, or to put it another way, to allow ourselves to be picked up and to try again. And of course, that needs to be done in marriages that are continuing, as well as ones that have come to an end. Let me put this another way. I learned this from a friend and fellow priest who was with me at the Strengthening Marriage Conference this past Thursday. She shared with the group this reminder. Every Sunday, at least, we say the Nicene Creed. And part of what we say at the end of the creed is that we look for the resurrection of the dead. 
Now that phrase has a historical meaning, to be sure. It echoes the resurrection of Jesus and his continuing presence among us. It speaks about the raising up of humanity on the last day. But it has an ongoing, everyday meaning as well. We have deaths, large and small, every day. And divorce is a kind of death. And yet, as Christians, we make the claim every Sunday that death is not the end. Death is not the end. Though scars may remain, death is not the end. It is an opportunity for practicing resurrection. Even after death on a cross, we hoped at all costs to avoid. A last word on the graces of failure and the good news of resurrection from the dead. Some of you may know the writer Annie Lamott. I know I've preached about her before from the pulpit. She writes about her life as a Christian with wonderful honesty and candor. And she was asked in an interview what she wanted her son, what she wanted her son, who's now a teenager, to know about God. What did she want her son to know about God? And this is what she said. I want to convey to my son that Christians get to be human. We get to make awful mistakes and fall short of who we hope we're going to turn out to be. Christians don't have to be what anybody else tries to get us to be so that they can feel better about who they are. We get to screw up right and left. We get to keep finding our way back home to goodness and kindness and compassion. I want my son to know that no matter what happens, he's never going to have to walk alone. That's what I'm trying to convey to my son about God. And that's what I want to say to us as well. This is the good news. We are never alone. There is resurrection from the dead. And that is good news indeed. Amen. Amen.